a lost coin, a lost love, a lost brother or sister. Nobody likes to lose things, and now we know that's all of us. But it is something we're kind of good at, right? And, and some of us are better at it than others. I'm great. I'm great at that. Lucas is the finder in our house. Given enough time and distraction, we will lose just about anything, no matter how important that it is. And we look forward to that glorious day when our light shall break forth like the dawn and that lost trinket will return to its rightful place by our side. And then there will be much rejoicing. There is nothing like the joy that comes when something that was lost returns home again. Going from Eric's moving anthem choice, we're going to look at the life and work of William Still. William Still was born in 1821 in New Jersey. He was born free, though his parents had both suffered as slaves. He was the youngest of 18 children, God love his parents, 18 children. He didn't have much in the way of formal education, but he taught himself to read and to write, knowing how much that mattered. In 1847, when he was 26 years old, he started working for the Pennsylvania Society for the Abolition of Slavery. Founded in 1775, it was the oldest abolitionist society in the country, and Benjamin Franklin once served as its president. William Still became the chairman of the Vigilance Committee, which provided direct aid to slaves who had escaped and reached Philadelphia. He raised money to help runaways and to make their journeys easier. He even helped Harriet Tubman financially. In fact, William Still is sometimes called the father of the Underground Railroad. He helped as many as 800 slaves to escape, and he opened up his home as a hiding place for them. Not only that, he got to know each individual slave that he met, and he recorded their stories. He knew that their lives and their struggles mattered, and he was determined not to let them be lost to history. In 1872, Still published a book of their stories, one of the few early histories that portrayed slaves as having courage and daring and fortitude, not just as passive victims. But before all this, before he was chairman of the Vigilance Committee and a bold rescuer of others, he started out as a simple clerk. And in 1850, when he was 29 years old, he met a man named Peter. Peter was an escaped slave, and he was telling William his story. Peter said that his father had bought his way out of slavery in Maryland, but his mother had not been able to do so. Many years before, Charity, that was her name, Charity had tried to escape from slavery in Maryland, but was caught doing so with her four children. And so for her next attempt, she took only her two daughters with her, and managed to reach her husband, Levin, in New Jersey. Tragically left behind, Peter explained that he and his brother, Levin Jr., were eventually sold to slave masters in Kentucky and then resold to a man in Alabama. Levin Jr. was caught visiting his wife without permission from his slave owner, and he was whipped so severely that he died. 
At the age of 50, Peter managed to escape, and he came to the Pennsylvania Society for the Abolition of Slavery to find his mother and his father or any other members of his family. William listened to Peter's story with shock and amazement. After learning how Levin Jr. had died, William proclaimed, What if I told you that I was your brother? Peter's story was one that William knew very well because it was his parents' story, too. Their parents had struggled for years to find their two oldest sons, but they were lost, seemingly forever. After Peter met William, he was reunited with his mother after a separation of 42 years, and he met the rest of his 16 brothers and sisters that he didn't even know he had. I cannot even imagine the miracle of that moment, the unbelievable joy, the shock, the disbelief, the overflowing hearts. And neither of them knew. Neither of them even suspected that they might have been who the other was looking for, a restoration of family where it must have seemed impossible. When we lose things, or or even people, we can find ourselves lost in despair, or we can find ourselves becoming seekers. In our passage from the Song of Songs, we hear the voice of the bride-to-be. Some believe that she's retelling a dream, others that it's a sleepless night and she really did go out into those streets, but either way, she wants the one her soul loves. Finding him again is her sole focus, and she will not rest until they are together again. She looks for him. She calls for him. She even bothers the night guards in the city, who I'm guessing probably don't really care about this lovesick young woman. Focused. She is devoted, and she is clear in her intention. She will be reunited, and when she found him, she held him and would not let him go. Her satisfaction comes from her love. Or let's look at the woman from the gospel lesson this morning. Certainly, she doesn't love her money as much as the bride-to-be loves her fiancé. At least, I hope that she doesn't. But she will search her house, sweep the floor, light an oil lamp, and look in all the dark corners behind and underneath everything until that which is lost is found again. And her joy is so great that she has to share it with everyone she knows. She publishes the news abroad, tell everybody, party at my house. I found what was lost. Losing, seeking, finding, and celebrating, we can understand what that feels like, the heartache, the yearning, the cautious hope, and the wild jubilation. But what's interesting about the lost coin story is that Jesus tells us this is exactly what the joy is like in heaven when one sinner repents. A change of heart and a change of life. We are the coin. We are the lost love. We are the lost brother, the lost parents, that lost family. We don't cause ourselves to be found 
We don't twinkle extra hard in the corner of the room or transmit GPS coordinates to the loved ones that seek us out. God is the seeker, and we are the found. And that means that we are not defined by our lostness. Being lost is never the sum total of who we are. We are God's children, and we are all sisters and brothers. Just imagine telling someone how lost you feel to sin, how alone, how unreachable, only to have them say, as William still did, what if I told you I was your brother? What if I told you I was your sister? What if isolation is a myth and the idea of being unforgivable, irredeemable, hopeless, what if that was a lie that we don't have to believe? Because when we look at 1 John, we find bold words of hope. Because it's simple enough to say, God is love, and we can ascribe great and holy and wonderful things to an untouchable, unreachable God. But it is another thing entirely to say, those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. We may think that we are lost to sin, but we are living in love, which means that we live in God and God lives in us. And how can we be lost when God is our home? How can you be lost when you know that love will seek you? And so let us find sisters and brothers in unexpected places. Let us unmask sin for all of its weakness, grasping hard to the power and love of God. And let us never forget that our repentance on earth means a radiant, boisterous, gleeful, outrageous party in heaven. And it is part of our calling to fill our Lord and Savior with gladness. And so may you celebrate your home in the Lord and in this family of faith every day of your life. Amen.